Hi, and welcome to Shadow Talk's weekly intelligence summary track, where our team of analysts dive into the top threat intelligence stories each week. To read their full findings and analysis, make sure to visit resources.digitalshadows.com. Now here's your host, Harrison Van Riper. Hello, and welcome to the first official podcast of our new Shadow Talk track. Uh, in which we'll be covering the weekly intelligence summary. With me this week is our strategic intelligence manager, Rose Bernard. Rose, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, not bad. Just uh, kind of recovering from the flu this week, so that's that's nice. Uh, sitting next to me in Dallas is uh, strategic intel analyst, Alex Giriku. Happy to be here. Uh, also recovering from the flu, just like uh, Harrison over here. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Alex actually gave me the flu, so I'm, I'm just going to blame him for that. And I will contend that. <laughs> so Rose, you wrote the Insum this week. So can you give us kind of a brief highlight of the main story? I did see the Insum this week. So this week we were talking about the data breach that's happened in Germany, where essentially a far right wing hacktivist released a cache of data, or um, including doxes, including personal correspondence from a load of really, really high-profile figures in Germany, including politicians and actors and YouTube presenters. And they did one every day for December. So it was. It was like a really, really unwelcome advent calendar. <laughs> Interesting. So who, who do we think was kind of responsible for it? So they arrested somebody on the 7th, and a young man from Germany who appeared to have been operating the Twitter handle who, which was leaking all of the information. Um, it has been posited that, you know, there might have been nation state involvement, but I don't think so. It does look like a hacktivist attempt or attack to me. It's quite staged. It's very showman-y. Um, it, yeah, it's designed to get as much attention as possible. I personally, I think what's interesting is that nobody talked about it until January. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion on Twitter about that, wondering why there wasn't much more pickup on it. Um, what I mean, I guess partially it could be because of the holiday season. But I mean, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I would. Yeah, I can't understand why if they were doing it one day and clearly they had attention. I think their account had like over 17,000 followers. Right. It's never picked up in the news. I mean, do you have any ideas, Alex? No, I mean, one thing that I would suggest was if it was being picked up on more local news, so on smaller news sources and that just hadn't been picked up by wider mainstream news outlets until January. But I'd have to look into that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, they only started doing politicians from the 20th. Right. So that could also lead to being picked up by broader sources as well. I mean, if it's fairly low level people that aren't really known on an international scale, why would it be picked up otherwise until they mentioned these kind of big players? Yeah. So did they start, they started out with kind of the lower YouTube personalities you were mentioning and then they kind of accelerated or? Yeah. So I think the guy who they arrested essentially said it was anyone who he didn't agree with so <laughs> fine um they started out there there was a rapper there uh and then a lot of youtube german youtube channels um and there were some of the doxes were up on a steemit account which were connected but um yeah we didn't get to the political parties until the 20th hmm, interesting and so there was some mention of, you know, kind of the notable absence of some of the far right stuff. 
um, far right stuff being the far right political parties. Is that kind of lending credence to the idea that maybe it is more hacktivist? A lot of the discussion on Twitter was surrounding the idea that it could be nation state because that it, it had a political leaning. Uh, but, you know, with the absence of a political party, it seems a little confusing. Yeah, so the one party that wasn't affected was a far right wing party called Alternative for Deutschland uh, or, you know, Alternative for Germany. And yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. I just think this was a right wing dude who was who was doing an activist attack. If it were a nation state campaign or if there was a nation state behind it. I'd expect to see something much more overtly political. So, because he just dumped a bunch of personal information and as well, the kind of the, the volume of it makes it really hard for us to draw any conclusions. But there's no real political angle other than this guy was annoyed by a bunch of politicians he didn't agree with and wanted to make a point about them. And there's also, because there's not just politicians who are impacted by this, right? there's a whole bunch of different types of individuals that are affected by this that don't necessarily have something to do with politics. So that also just makes me, makes me think that this is more just hacktivist behavior rather than a coordinated yeah. nation state attack. Yeah. It's plausible the Russians hate German rap, but I don't <laughs> know. I mean, who doesn't love German rap? I mean, come on. Well, the Russians, apparently. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Um, so I guess one other takeaway from this was the fact that uh, this man who was arrested used a lot of popular passwords to kind of access uh, this data. So I guess one thing to take away is to use good uh, password hygiene. Yeah, and I think the the fact that it had this massive impact when he didn't really broach any official networks. So I think there is quite often a tendency amongst people to have quite strong passwords for anything that they'd use for work. But then maybe when they're looking at their own accounts, they, they'd have less good uh, or less strong passwords. So it's just about making sure that you look at that all equally. Right. And yeah, I guess I should clarify those passwords were for like Twitter accounts, social media accounts, not like work emails or something like that. The German government system. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Okay, cool. Well, moving on from that then, let's dive into some of the other stories from this week. Alex, can you kind of talk about the OXO international breach? Is it, is it OXO or OXO? Because uh, I've always said OXO. Is it, is it OXO? So after about a five-minute discussion on how to pronounce this name, OXO International had a breach this week, or at least they announced a couple of breaches this week. Alex, can you tell us about this? Yeah, so they disclosed three data breaches, um, all of which affected customers purchasing from their online store over the course of the past two years. And at least one of them, which happened in June of 2017, was attributed to the MageCart threat group, which is pretty significant because we've been following MageCart over the past couple of months, and they've been responsible for a number of fairly high-profile attacks, including British Airways, Ticketmaster. So they've been on everyone's radars. And so this is another example of an attack that's been attributed to them. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, they kind of keep popping up um, even historically, right? This is from 2017 and it's just now being kind of revealed that it was them, or at least has been attributed to them. Rose, what are your thoughts on this? I think it's really interesting question about whether we attribute this to Magecart or not. So my, and I don't really have 
an opinion on, on this breach. I think it sounds like it was Mage Cart, but it's quite a common technique, digital skimming. And so I wonder if there's now just a tendency, everything, every time we see an attack that's done with that, that method, we just say, oh, Mage Cart, and then leave it. Right. Yeah, that it's actually a really good point because I think, you know, when kind of the news came out that there were there was the initial mage cart and then there were like 10 groups and then it was like everything related like you say to digital skimming is being attributed to mage cart you know where does attribution get kind of out of control and whether why even care about it at that point why not just look at what's actually going on the ttps how to protect against it and it doesn't necessarily matter who's responsible for it yeah i think there's no arguing that mage cart was likely responsible for bringing this up into the forefront because before MageCard, it wasn't really something that was talked about on the scale that it is right now. And we've also seen a couple of, you know, similar attacks that have been attributed to different threat groups as well. So they've definitely popularized it both within threat groups and threat actors, as well as the general cybersecurity sector. And then moving on, so we have the Modlishka. I think that's how you pronounce it. Rose, please correct me if I'm wrong. Modlishka. Uh, phishing tool bypass. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yep. So this is a threat researcher who's developed this tool that sits between the individual and or the individual and their device and then the website they're trying to access. So it grabs two-factor authentication information that's input into it in real time. I think that it must be very, very resource intensive because you're essentially having to sit there and wait for somebody to, you know, input their two-factor authentication stuff and then grab it and then how you have to then access their account or whatever it is straight away because 2FA is often very time sensitive. Uh, But it's interesting because it shows how people are still keep trying to get around these things right yeah i think it's interesting you know on kind of a different story of um bypasses that have been recently published we also saw something from security researchers saying that they found a way to bypass captchas with using the audio uh kind of the audio version of the captcha and then translating that into text which i think is an interesting way to get around that sort of security check all right so moving on to the last story for this week uh, ransomware's using fake charity to extort victims. I'll leave this to either Rose or Alex, whoever wants to talk about it. I got it. <laughs> uh, so it was a new ransomware campaign that, interestingly, it used a fake charity as part of its lure to get people to send money to a made-up crowdfunding site. So this is fairly, it's a, it's a fairly standard technique overall in terms of it's playing with its victims' emotions, similar to sextortion campaigns. It creates a sense of urgency. It's trying to play with your emotions and try to get you to send, send over that money and otherwise you'll feel bad. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we've seen things playing into social engineering stuff like this for when there's natural disasters, right? After that, we usually see a lot of, uh, fraud stuff kind of uptick. Yeah, they also play on people's tendencies to donate um, in times of need, so they're, they're charitable tendencies. So yeah, so looking forward uh, for the next couple of weeks, what are, we, what are we looking at? Well, in crazy things our governments are doing this week, Brexit is still a big source of chaos and confusion in the UK, and we've seen quite a lot of spear phishing attempts linked to Brexit. And I would expect that to continue. I think that people are going to take advantage over the fact that nobody really understands what's going on and use that as a lure to get people to either click on something or download a link. It's also very much like 
targeting people who are unsure about how it's going to affect them on things that so I'd expect that to continue playing off of the whole government thing uh, in the US we have the government shutdown going on uh, just yesterday I think yesterday or the day before there was a story that was published um, basically showing that a lot of government sites US government sites have expired certs uh, for TLS uh, encryption security so that's not good. And it's definitely something, you know, even here at DS, when we're doing kind of our day-to-day stuff, we kind of access something like the NVD, which, which keeps track of all the CVEs and vulnerabilities that are being published. That site, fortunately, this vulnerability site is still functioning, but the organization behind it, NIST, their main website is not uh, functioning currently. And so it makes it really hard to uh, do. And I think, you know, it, overall, it kind of makes the cybersecurity posture of something like the U.S. government not look very good, which is not a good thing. And, you know, the other, the other side of it is that attackers might use this opportunity to kind of go after that um, and kind of exploit that, uh, ex- exploit what's going on. All right, so we're about to wrap up here. See, I told you this was going to be quick, quick and easy, quick and dirty. Uh, if you want to download the full intelligence summary, go to resources.digitalshadows.com. Please do show Shadow Talk some love by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you listen to things on the internet. So this is the point in the show where we would normally answer a question from one of our listeners. This is kind of a new thing that we're trying to do to connect with people that listen to Shadow Talk. This week, the question is just going to be from me since this is the first show and we don't have any other questions. Follow us on Twitter at Digital Shadows and tweet at us using the hashtag Shadow Talk if you want to submit a question or feedback or something like that. So the question this week for both of you, and I'll answer as well, I guess. If you could name your own advanced persistent threat group, what would it be? Something like, you know, those crazy ones, fancy bears. Let's, let's try to go with something that delegitimizes them a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with something along the lines of lethargic wombat. Oh, I love it. I, lo- <laughs> I actually do really like Just that. Just the imagery that that puts in your head. Well, so... We had you- that game, didn't we? I think After, so. um, who was it who came up with that name for it? For, um, it was like another unnecessary name for APT28, and it was something like Cat Kipper. Do you not remember this? I don't remember that one specifically, but I still like the name. Mine was going to be diseased blockchain. To really, oh my god, that's so really cliche. Play on like the cryptocurrency aspect, but like you know, really get in there. Diseased People want to hear blockchain more yeah, often than they already do. Exactly, it's a buzzword. Right? Yeah, got to get them paying attention. Rose, what is yours? <laughs> is it is it Cat Kipper? Yeah, I'll go with that. Okay, all right. I think we, we had a debate and decided that. Um, as a team, our APT name would be Lucky Wolfhound. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that's something that you could be proud to say. You know, like, I'm part of Lucky Wolfhound. I don't, well, I don't know what you're talking about. If I'm going to be in an APT group, my APT is going to be a really good group. I'm going to be <laughs> proud. People are going to want to join it. All right, all right, that's fair. All right, well, that will be it from us this week. Thank you, guests. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, APT groups, for keeping us employed. Um, Talk to you all next week.